Good morning. It is Monday, 8.06 a.m. And the date is August 16th. <laughs> Hope you all had a good week. I'm uh, getting off to a late start because my sleeping has been in this weird wake up every four hours kind of schedule. It's um, kind of a drag, um, but it is what it is. So yeah, I woke up at three this morning. And then it took me a while to get back to bed. Uh, I've been sewing a lot. I'm making some coats. I made two coats already, and I'm on the third coat. Uh, the third coat is made from an old blanket that dates back from the middle Victorian era. So around 1860s. I found some remnants of it when I was out shopping and I like the colors it's you know just navy blue and cream and it has that overlapping hoop kind of honeycomb design then I found another one but it's from the 1950s and that is a it's wool and it's slightly thicker and it was probably more likely used for a wrap or something like that so yeah I spent all day sewing after I got back from the flea market the flea market was has been pretty slim pickings lately but I still find stuff so I still go and it always ends up being profitable for me um, I like to go fairly early and skip everything up that I can. So yeah, it's that was nice. Um, I got a beautiful 1930s um, cotton velvet dress that comes with this adorable little bolero jacket that ties in the front. It's a pretty petite size. I'm not sure if it'll fit my model, but we'll see. Um, I didn't even measure it yet. I was busy sorting and sewing yesterday. So yeah, I've been really enjoying making these jackets. Uh, starting in October, though, I got to start making my sweaters. And I want to do a limited run of these jackets be because I don't want. First of all, there it takes a while to. It's kind of time consuming to source the the fabric. And then it's a lot of work, you know, it's, it's easy work with the sewing machine, but it's still work. And I don't know, I want them to be, I want my things to be difficult to get as, as they are difficult or time consuming to make, I want them to be just as hard to get. Um, someone said they were going to make one themselves and I was like, go right ahead, honey. We'll see about that. Um, I really don't think that they should copy off of my design, though, if they do that. Um, people often threaten to copy things that I made. I made these sweaters last year, and people were saying, oh, I thought of that idea. I'm going to make something just like that. And it always kind of sets my teeth a little. It's like, oh, really? Well, why haven't you done it 
Did you actually think of it? Are you as good at sewing as I am? Then sit down, please. Um, but you should never take people's... When they say th those kind of utterances, when they say things like that, I never take them lightly because they may not do it right away, but eventually they'll they'll do it. They'll do it. They'll try, and it won't look half as good, but they will try to copy your style and what you do, or they'll copy your designs. So I know it sounds a little paranoid, but I don't like it when people will try to copy things that I've made. Um, I made these necklaces years ago that were really crazy. Basically, like if you dumped out like the contents of your junk drawer and like a dollhouse and a jewelry box and then strung it all up. And this lady that I used to buy jewelry from, she mentioned one day that she wanted to make one of those necklaces. She's going to make a necklace like that. And I didn't say anything. It bothered me and I should have spoken up about it. Um, but I didn't want to lose the connection to my, one of my jewelry sources, but, but, um, in the end I ended up letting, she ended up, uh, somebody showed me that she had actually tried to make a necklace like what I made and she actually sold it at one of the stores I used to sell it at. Um, and so, yeah, I, and I completely stopped contact with that person because of that. Um, I don't want, and the reason why I found out about that is because somebody brought it to my attention. They brought the, uh, some images of, of the necklace to me and said, this, this looks like your designs or your, someone is trying to copy your designs. And, um, I know people, makers, makers, I hate that word, but artists and, and crafters and designers go through that all the time. I'm not alone. Um, I was somewhat surprised that she did that, but now I look back, I don't, I take it seriously when someone says they're going to do that. Um, and I feel really good about not buying jewelry from that person anymore. Um. Else was it intellectual property, crafting, etc. So yeah, I finally left the house, and I went and I uh, did a little thrifting, of course, in the Excelsior. My pho place was closed. Maybe the lady from the pho place is having her baby. Uh, that it's run by a family with I think they have like two little ones. It's a young young husband and wife, and I think the third's on the way, and she was really pregnant, so um, that makes sense, you know, can't be pregnant forever, but man, was I hungry, <laughs> and so, yeah, I got on the bus, and I saw the Nepali place, taste uh, Cuisine of Nepal, which I'd always wanted to go to, and so I tried it, and it was so good, it's so good. I was going to go to the Cambodian food and but this this is really really amazing. Like the flavors are just they're so earthy 
it's so complex and it reminded me of I don't know like the middle ages or beyond or earlier or something maybe you know like that you could taste like the 10th century in there so before then I ordered the spicy lamb curry you can get it extra spicy it's one of those type of places I'm glad I just got regular spicy it was so spicy it was so good I just uh it was I, I couldn't quite tell but maybe that a little bit of star anise in it just the tiniest bit it's some unusual peppers and chilies and I had two glasses of wine and kind of like right before I got my food Holly showed up she was there to meet Josh and she was very hungry and very tired because she had just done a craft fair um, Holly is a ceramicist in the neighborhood and she teaches at the ceramic shop near the Cambodia and near the Cambodian and Nepali restaurants and um, yeah she's really good she's got a an elegant style that that also has I guess like a, a sense of fun to it and she's really good with textures and it's really evocative but also her items are useful so she had just got through doing a craft fair and she was tired and hungry and I believe she got the sag, sag paneer and she and Josh also ordered the squash um, so those those two dishes looked mighty tasty uh, but I thought it was interesting and kind of cool like wow what a California experience man <laughs> to be at this Nepali place eating this exotic and rich food richly spiced food and both having really worked up an appetite for doing our craft okay <laughs> I thought that was awesome I thought it was awesome that we both make a living doing with our hands and and doing things that come from our creative side that are that are creative jobs businesses of our own that that we've built and yeah I thought that was neat uh, and and kind of kind of funny that we both chose the place but yeah I love Holly she's really funny and super talented I can't wait to see what she makes next so yeah um it was funny there was a a a couple with their with their uh college age son uh some baby boomers of course and they were bickering up a store <laughs> first it had to do something with where they were going to park their their second car or something because of street cleaning and they were fighting about what day street cleaning was on that was amusing and then my favorite part is when the mom asked the son a question about his college life. And the as she was asking him, the, the husband interjected and she's like, 
Don't interrupt me. Don't you interrupt me. <laughs> and then, you know, the son proceeded to um, answer the mother's question and then she interrupted the son. I thought it was very amusing. So, yeah, I highly recommend the Nepali place. I'm probably going to go there for my birthday. It was that good. I usually go to the Cambodian place, but I might be switching camps because this is very good wintertime food. And we're eventually going into winter. We finally got some colder weather yesterday. So, then I walked back home and sewed for some more time and... uh then went to bed around 11. <sighs> Pardon me. I'm still tired. I still have so much stuff to do. Uh, Zelda's coming over to assist me with shipping. And we'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, I have a very hard time trying to show people how to do stuff. It's not rocket surgery. That's not the problem. I just feel a little overwhelmed, and I do need help. Uh, even though I get the shipping out on time, I pride myself on doing that. I just don't want it to take three, four, five hours like it usually does on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And, you know, my birthday's on Friday, and I don't want to ship on Friday. So, <laughs> I want to get things kind of caught up for that. Anyway, uh, and was it Thursday? No, on Friday I went and I saw a matinee of Hustlers, and it was so hot in the city. It was like 94 degrees. I was sweating like a stuck pig, just sweat coming out from like you know, kind of the top of my ribs, just, it shoots out. I don't know why it does that. I wonder if I'm the only person who that does, who it does that to when sweat just shoots out. And then, yeah, so I got in the theater. Of course, I was seated. My reserve seating, there was were... They weren't quite baby boomers. They were more like aging Gen Xers, so like 50. And they were seated to my right. And they were so annoying. And they were talking so loudly. And they were very uncouth. And I was like, oh, they're here for J-Lo. I was about to get up and go, but I was like, Michelle, sit down. This ticket cost you $20, and it's hot out. You don't want to go outside, stay seated. So I did, and, you know, midway through the previews, <sighs> angels came to me in the form of six gay guys who had to, they, it, re, it turns out that the other group, the rude people were had seated themselves in the wrong seats of course they always do and so they had to move 
and then I switched seats with one of the gay guys so he could be with his friend. And I was like, oh, thank God. Thank God that that happened. Because I cannot stand when people are loud like that in the movie theater. At the Alamo, one of the things that you can do is you can write such and such as being too loud on a piece of paper. And then they'll go kick that so-and-so out for you. I've never utilized it, even though I've had many valid opportunities to do so. Um, But I was so tempted. I was looking at them. (laughs) And... They, they would, here's how it was kind of coming out though. They would say something like, oh, I do that. I like that. I like sequencing glitter. And then I would just say in a normal tone, how about you shut up? And then they didn't hear me because they were talking so loud. I was like, wow, that's really passive aggressive, Michelle. But I was like getting some like slow, cold comfort. I was letting a little steam out of the valve by doing that. Um, Probably totally unhealthy and probably just as rude to do. So yeah, I was really glad. And then the movie started and it's great. It's by Lorena Scarifin. I'm probably saying her name wrong. Um, I will offer my corrections later. I think it's Scarafini. So it's a, a woman directed, stars um, J-Lo, Constance Wu. There were cameos by Cardi and Lizzo. And I think a very, very heavily surgery Lorna Luft. I couldn't tell. There's someone who plays like the den mother in it. And of the strip club and I couldn't tell who it was I knew it was someone really famous she looks like Lorna Luft now I don't know if that's how she started out but if it truly is Lorna Luft she <laughs> looks like she had looks like Lorna had some work done okay um, but yeah it's it's a great movie it's based on a on a, on a news article about women who work at a strip club as dancers and they uh, after the recession they come up with new and creative ways to get money from men and I'm on board I'm on board with that Um, J-Lo was incredible in it I don't think I've seen her be this amazing in a film role since Selena which is one of my favorite you know biopics or biopics um, she really was, she was great. The dancing, she, the dancing that she did was incredible. It did not look like she used a body double. So if they did, kudos to the body double, but I'm pretty sure it was her. Uh, the costumes were right on. It wasn't too over the top. Um, and, and it felt there was an authenticity to it, but also kind of had a, some kind of Frank Capra moments, you know, it also, it reminded me a little bit of some kind of pre-code. There were, the story is, lends itself to pre-code Hollywood, I think, you know, showgirls on the lamb gone wrong. Um, but it's a, it's, it's a true to life story. And I think that they did a very, 
a very good job. So go go see it and be entertained and also touched. I, of course, cried a little bit at it, you know. Um, over the years, I've met a lot of people who are exotic dancers. And I knew one woman who used to work at, at Scores. Um, I'm going to change her name to Wanda, just to protect her identity. Um, but yeah, Wanda was there for a long time before she moved to Texas. And yeah, it seems like that's where all the wealthiest, wealthiest, you know, financial wizards and sports guys and all the celebrities and like rock stars came if they were in New York. So yeah, it's no surprise. Um, the thing I noticed though is that, you know, there's like a time limit on how long you can do that at that level. And then you've got to, you've got to come up with creative ways to, um, because it's based on kind of like your body and, and that sort of thing, you have to come up with different ways to make it sustainable, do slightly different things. Um, and it seems like it's a real challenge. You know, it seems competitive too. Uh, they showed a preview for Live Nude Girls. Oh my God. Live Nude, Nude Girls is this documentary about... Um, the dancers trying to unionize the uh, lusty lady in San Francisco. Oh my God, that place. <laughs> I don't know if you guys ever went there. First of all, the documentary, I, I felt like, you know, this is gonna sound so luxist. But I just have to say it. I felt like I was disappointed in the, that documentary because, you know, when I when I when that documentary came out, I was living in Houston, where there's that that Houston has so many strip clubs and they're huge. They're strip complexes and they're like filled with like hot Russian chicks, um, and you know, hot Russian women. Excuse me, hot Russian women. Um, you know, there is something for everybody there. They have, you know, you have to, you have to really be on top of your looks, uh, maintaining and, and enhancing your looks at all times. It is, it's like a career, you know? Um, so that's, you know, constant, you know, trips to the salons and facials all the time and waxing everything it, it's kind of it's kind of expensive to maintain that appearance so that you can make the most money there and you know they also have nude bars too so you know i get here everyone everyone in san francisco acts like it's such a decadent place i'm like yeah it's it's not that decadent um the guy that i was dating wanted to take me to a strip club so I'm like okay I sometimes went to strip clubs and nude bars in Houston it could be it could be fun 
it can be really fun. Um, so yeah, we went to the Lusty Lady. Um, I hadn't seen the documentary yet. Um, I'll get back to the documentary later, but yeah, the, when we went to the Lusty Lady, I noticed that it had kind of a weird locker room smell to it. I guess that must have been from, um, from the jizz. And they have these rooms, there's a stage and then there's these like little rooms and the stage is kind of like a, a giant tableau or, um, diorama and it's plexiglass and they have that women like in, enacting these like fetish scenes. I was like, man, they just throw anyone up there. Um, hell, I could do this job. I mean, it, and not saying that what they were doing was, was easy. It was difficult. But now I appreciate, you know, I've grown as a person. I matured. And I appreciate, I would appreciate the diversity of, of um, aesthetics that were represented there. But, you know, I was thinking that would it, be, it would be like the strippers in Houston. But it's not. It's San Francisco. Um, and then we got in this one booth. And fortunately, we got a hot chick. Um, or I was I was excited to have to, I think, have the prettiest girl in our booth. But it was a peep show. I had never been to a peep show. And I was, then I suddenly realized, like, hey, this is seedy. This is, this is, this is like, this is, we are not going to go to a table or have any drinks or anything. This is like a little box where you, you, you jack off in. It was, it was a little black, it's kind of like these little black closets where you, the viewer, stand, put more quarters in. So I, I thought it was, I thought the girl was really pretty and I thought that she moved good. The boyfriend, he he liked it too. Um, but I I just I just felt like it was not my cup of tea. And it was, I think then like then they switch it around. So then like you know they have different girls come to your peep show thing. It was a, it was bizarre. I wasn't expecting that. Um, I did see the documentary. I found it disappointing. Um, it was again not visually appealing. Uh, even though I feel that strip clubs are mainly geared towards men and the male gaze, I also feel like they are businesses just like anywhere else, and certain businesses will make more money. If the if the um, if the services there are at a certain standard and they have a a, partic- a particular look to them or a style to them, you know, um, because it's fantasy based and commodity, you know, it's commodified fantasy. The fantasy, you know, it has to be something that is like a, an escape to a different world for a moment. That's what I feel the men are paying for. Um, you know, to see, to, to briefly have access to, 
to someone who they in real life normally wouldn't, you know, and, you know, to see the spectacle of someone dancing beautifully as well. If it's that kind of club, like, you know, on a pole, that takes a lot of work and it's really hard. And you have to be, you know, you have to, you have to be dedicated to, to honing that craft, you know, um, I feel like overall the lusty lady was a place for, you know, people kind of with a more fringe aesthetic or more fringe style. Um, the documentary was just so boring though. And it made me think that overall, I think the, the going into the lusty lady, um, this was in the early 2000s, that it was kind of on its way out. Um, and it did eventually shut down. And, you know, it's a San Francisco institution. Um, so I was, you know, on principle, I was bummed, like, oh, there's another, you know, wild place gone. Um, but I think I had more fun at the, I think I have more fun at, like, larger strip clubs. And, um, I don't go to them very often, <laughs> like once every few few years. So don't don't get me mistaken. But I like to see cool dances and pretty girls and you know glamour. I like glamour a lot and glitz. Um, and I feel that the lusty lady could have used a bit of a bit of glitz. Ooh yeah. So yeah, I've got to get going. It is really time for me to get ready. I have to prep everything to be able to show someone how to help me how to ship. All right. So you guys have a great day and a great week. Talk to you soon. Bye.